0: The Fanboy, episode 129. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is episode 129 of the Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? All right, so look, this is going to be all Snyder Cut, all the time, because this is what this week is about. And if you've been following my show, if you've been following my writing, if you've been following anything about my fandom... For the last, I don't know, several years now, I've been doing this now since 2013. You know that in some way, shape, or form, my entire cinematic. Life, my entire fandom life, has been wrapped up in this Zack Snyder's Justice League in some way, shape, or form for years. Whether you, you know, consider Man of Steel and the fallout from that part of the story, or if you really just start the story from after the the theatrical cut of Justice League came out in 2017 to the release the cam the release the Snyder cut campaign. No matter where you want to start this. This story is something that I've been tracking and having strong feelings about for many, many years. So now that the movie itself is out, it's time to talk about it. So let's let's dive right in. So the first thing that I'm gonna do up here at the front of the show is I'm gonna start off with non-spoiler thoughts. Okay. Just some general non-spoiler impressions of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Then i'm bringing on a friend to talk about the movie my friend seth travis from man of metropolis we recently did a twitter spaces session together on the topic of why i love superman and uh, we hit it off real well i think seth is awesome people I know he's a big Zack Snyder fan, and I wanted to have someone who has been championing that vision all these years. I wanted to have them on the show to share excitedly how they felt about it, since I'm going to share my two cents from the vantage point of someone who has not been dying to see more of Snyder's vision. You know, I I wanted to have someone else who's coming at this from a different vantage point for y'all to enjoy. But for now, from my subjective place where I sit... For my particular fandom, as as someone who's loved all things Superman for, I don't know, over 34 years now, um it's safe for me to say that Zack Snyder's Justice League rocked my world yesterday. It was better than I ever could have expected it to be. But not just that, it was the first time, and I'm gonna get more into this later with Seth, but It was the first time that I saw a Snyder movie where I felt completely satisfied with all of his decisions and how he executed on them, which and and for me, that was clear right out of the gate within the first 15, 20 minutes of this movie. It was clear to me. That this was a very sort of confident and self-assured filmmaker who knows exactly the story he wants to tell, has perhaps listened to some constructive critiques over the years, and was basically trying to make the ultimate DC movie using all of what he had filmed back in 2016, as well as a few minutes of what he shot uh, earlier this year or late last year. So... Right off the bat, I need to make that clear because one of the things I give, I've always given Snyder a hard time for is having great ideas, great ambitions, stories and plot points that have wonderful potential with things to say about the world at large and all that sort of stuff. I always give him credit for his ideas, but his execution always leaves me wanting, not this time. Not this time. Yesterday, from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., I watched all four hours of Zack Snyder's Justice League in one straight sitting. I mean, I took like two minute breaks during a couple of the parts so I can go use the bathroom and, and, uh, you know, uh, argue with Rick Shue from Batman on film a little bit. But aside from that, I did four straight hours of Zack Snyder's Justice League, something that I didn't think I was going to be ready, willing, or able to do. I really thought that was going to be a tall order. I I can barely sit down to watch a two-hour movie on the couch without, you know, moving on to something else because uh, it just is what it is. But this is what good buzz does, people. Good buzz takes people like me who were doubters and skeptics who said, eh, this is not really going to be for me, but maybe I'll check out some of it and give it a try. Good Buzz gets people like me to go, well, hang on a second, what's all this about? What is all this chatter? I didn't expect all this. And when I say expect all this, I mean it. Like, I've seen so many people this week come out in favor of not just Zack Snyder's Justice League, but of the entire Snyderverse, that it's so shocking to me. It's so like, I, I don't think anyone saw this coming. I swear, you asked ask 10 people about how this was going to go. And nine out of those 10 people were going to say, well, his fans will love it. Critics are going to treat it just like BVS. General audiences are probably going to treat it like BVS. But at least his fans will be happy. That was kind of like the general consensus. No one really expected this to be embraced, right? Because Zack Snyder has been somewhat of a lightning rod as a filmmaker for years now. And there really wasn't reason to think that this would be any different. And yet this time around, when when the embargoes started to get lifted, and social media impressions started to float their ways online, and actual critics started posting mini reviews on their Twitters and all that sort of stuff, something became very clear very quickly, which is, this is not going to go the way you think it's going to. It became very clear to me right away, like, wait a minute, people are really enjoying this film. And people with like big influences like I saw Eric Davis of Fandango talk about Zack Snyder's Justice League and how he wants to restore the Snyderverse. I saw Brandon Davis from ComicBook.com who's like the face of ComicBook.com telling his 100,000 followers that Zack Snyder's Justice League is great and we should restore the Snyderverse. I saw my old Latino review compatriot Umberto El Mahimbe Gonzalez from The Rap talking about restore the Snyderverse. Like lots of major significant places now are coming out and saying we loved this and we want more of it. And with positive glowing reviews from places like Variety and the San Francisco Chronicle and all kinds of like really heavy duty publications coming out and saying rave things about this movie, listen, that got my attention. And by the time Wednesday came around, I was like, I think I'm going to need to block out like four straight hours and watch this tomorrow morning as soon as it comes out, because This buzz I'm hearing is crazy. This might be the start of something new and different. And I want to be in on this. So yesterday I did the thing that I never thought I'd do. And I watched all freaking four hours of this movie in one sitting. And the amazing part was I never regretted it for a second. It was wild. I really, I loved all the teases. Of, of where he's going with these characters. I love the way he presented these characters. I love that each, each hero got a chance to be heroic and got a chance to show their impact on those around them and, and show them inspiring other people and show them not just fighting bad guys, but doing heroic deeds. Because that's always been something that, you know, for me was kind of missing. In uh, BVS and in portions of Man of Steel where, you know, for me, when I see a superhero movie, it's to watch a superhero save people. It's not to watch a superhero... uh, punch the crap out of whoever the villain of the movie is that stuff it my eyes glaze over and i don't care i care more about watching the heroes save lives inspire others overcome adversity and show some level of heart and sensitivity towards those around them that's the type of stuff that i love and it's the type of stuff that to me it felt like snyder was never all that interested in and in this movie he hits it out of the park every hero Gets a chance to shine and not just shine, but they get to do the thing where they inspire and improve other people's lives. You know, I'm going to get into some spoilers later that are are more, you know, can tie that point down a little firmer. But overall... I was floored by the overall way he presented this universe. The heroes felt heroic. The villains seemed dark and and ominous and villainous and scary. See, Steppenwolf is a whole other thing when he is the vanguard of an alien invasion which is why he didn't work in the theatrical cut. Because if you're not gonna go for the alien invasion, if you're not gonna go into the dark side angle of this story, then Steppenwolf is a lame duck villain who serves no real purpose, except just to talk about mother boxes and have general ideas of ruling the world. You know, he was just such a generic, meaningless villain with no real arc. And in this movie, right away, he's much more fleshed out. He's actually pretty damn scary. And the drama of the history between him and Darkseid is actually fairly compelling. And I found myself feeling for this character who wanted to be back in Darkseid's good graces and who's been working so hard to try to, like, fix things. And, you know, I just... Steppenwolf, right off the bat, was a much more compelling villain. The heroes, right off the bat, were much more compelling and heroic. And the score, let's not even get into the score just yet, but the score, Tom Hokenberg, a.k.a. Junkie XL, I mean, this guy killed it. He gave me a Superman theme that brought tears to my eyes. And speaking of tears to my eyes, you guys know what a softy I am. And sometimes I, I'll i even judge a film based on its ability to engage me emotionally you know if if a movie can get me to that emotional place despite all the things I know about the movie despite my mind knowing full well that this is all fake and this is all just a story on a screen if I can forget all that and feel the feels during your movie then your movie is a pretty special thing that's how I view it and I cried and I think I undersold it yesterday on Twitter. I think I said twice. I, re- I remember yesterday I cried three times. Three times. And one of those times, and this was a big surprise to me, a pleasant surprise, was with Cyborg. There were like two different Cyborg beats that I'm going to get into when we get into spoilers, but it gave me a whole new understanding for ray fisher's pain for what happened in in the theatrical cut and we're going to get into all that but i don't want to get into specifics or spoilers just yet in case you are one of the people who has not seen this movie yet i want to make sure you have some bit of this episode that you could listen to before seeing the movie so in terms of non-spoiler stuff another big rave i can give is for henry cavill superman Look, I've been saying for years, this guy's got it in him. This guy knows the character, loves the character, has ideas and ambitions for the character. He just needs the right script and setting and story for us to see what he can do. And going into this cut of the movie yesterday, you all know this. One of the big questions I've had is, well, what exactly is so bad about the Superman in this movie that Warner Brothers was willing to give us Henry Cavill's blurry face with that mustache instead. You know, in that theatrical cut, they present a Superman who is written well, And portrayed well, but looks like a complete catastrophe in the facial department, and it's distracting, and it became this huge distraction and burden and viral issue with the film itself. So they created a negative Superman situation, and it made me feel like, well, that can only mean that the Superman stuff in Zack Snyder's Justice League is even worse You know, if they were willing to have the first shot of the theatrical cut be that blurry cell phone footage of his mouth looking weird, if they were willing to do that instead of just give us what Zach shot, that must mean that Zack shot some terrible stuff. So I went into this kind of like, all right, I got to see how he butchered Superman, because there's no way to justify what they did otherwise. And what I discovered is that there's no way to justify what they did. There's no way there's nothing that was shown about Henry Superman. There was nothing in that depiction that could not have led to sequels. And that was not tried and true to Zack Snyder's promise to us because he promised us that in Justice League, we were going to see the classic Superman. And you know what? He delivered because right after the battle against his fellow Justice League members, just like in the theatrical cut, he goes to the farm with Lois. From that point on, everything about Henry's portrayal of the character, everything about the way he's written and directed and shot, everything about that is spot on Superman. And, and, and it's the kind of Superman that even like people who felt like this is not my Superman, I feel like if they saw this Superman, they would, say, they, they would sing a very different tune. So it showed me that Snyder is actually capable of giving us the more classic, traditional Clark Kent and that that is where he was heading with all this. He wasn't just saying that, that this Clark Kent who returned from the dead really does seem to be the Clark Kent a lot of us grew up on, except he's been through some stuff. So there's extra gravitas there. You know, so for me, my only complaint about the Superman aspect of this film, my only complaint is with the damn black suit. And this goes back to last week, right? Because last week uh, somebody asked me, you know, what do you think of the black suit? And, you know, I said at the time that as long as it serves some kind of storyline purpose like it did in the comics, you know, he didn't just arbitrarily wear a black suit when he returned from death for the hell of it. In the comics, it was explained that that was a special, like, Kryptonian regeneration suit that was there to kind of help his body, you know, soak up the sun the right way and help him sort of rehabilitate back to the Superman that he, you know, he once was. So the black suit actually had some sort of technology to it. There was a reason for it existing aside from it just looking cool. But in this particular instance... It's almost framed more like Clark chose the black suit, like when he's. Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to go into the spoilers. <laughs> that was almost there. That was almost there. But all I'll say for now, in the non-spoiler portion of things, is that the black suit bugged me. I think it was unnecessary. I think it was a crappy call, and I'll get more into that later. Now, taking a step back from Superman. The overall film, the overall four-hour film, what did I think of it? I think it didn't need to be four hours. I think it could have been chopped down. I don't know how much, but there was definitely things that dragged in there. And you kind of got a sense that Snyder was just taking advantage of the fact that, listen, I've got this opportunity now to share every idea I've ever had for these characters with the world. So I'm going to give them every moment of every thought I have on these characters to take advantage of this, you know? So while there are parts that drag, that almost didn't bother me because I was approaching this more as an experience than a movie, you know? Because Listen, we got to be honest. This is not the movie that would have made it into theaters in 2017. It just simply isn't. Any way you slice it, even if Warner Brothers had said, Zack, we love your ideas. We think you're heading in the right direction. We want you to tell this story. There's no way they would have okayed a four-hour cut. And there's no way that some of the things he kind of snuck in there in the last year or so would have ended up in there in the original 2017 version of this film. So that's a, that's an important distinction that I think some people need to draw. Because a lot of the talk this week has also been, you know, how did Warner Brothers see this movie and then decide it sucked and, and decide to remake it? And, you know, listen, I, I agree that it's ridiculous. The overhaul in hindsight has been rendered ridiculous by the release of this film and how actually well it plays. But we can't forget That this movie would have been chopped down to about two and a half hours, maybe, you know, closer to two, because we know the studio really wanted a shorter movie. And even in a best-case scenario, it's a three-hour movie. Let's say they said, fine, Endgame showed us—actually, this is before Endgame, that's why I'm saying, in 2017, we wouldn't have gotten this, but, you know— Let's say they 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 want to give Zach a lot of wiggle room here because they had learned a lesson. Let's say from BVS and how the Ultimate Edition was better liked than the theatrical cut. So in this hypothetical scenario, let's say Zach was able to convince them, "Hey, let me just make my you know m- m- tell my full story." They still would have capped it off at about three hours. So we all need to remember that, too. When we're talking about and we're raving about this movie and questioning how could the studio have been so stupid, you know, it's important to understand that we would have gotten a shortened, possibly mangled version of the story. Think about the relationship between the theatrical cut of BVS to the Ultimate Edition. And what was the big difference there? A half hour was chopped off. That half hour of scenes that Zack Snyder cut out of BVS, suddenly, just to get it to that two and a half hour runtime, made the movie play worse. The edit, yeah, the scenes just kind of, there's not much of a flow. The plot doesn't come together quite as well. Clark doesn't have as much to do. The motivations of their fight aren't quite as crystallized. Like, overall... The theatrical cut is an inferior version of the movie. And there's, you know, we would have gotten an inferior version of this week's movie in 2017. So we have to remember that we would not have seen this back then. So that's why for me, when I was watching it, I wasn't critiquing it on the same scale that I would have critiqued it in theaters back then. You know cuz this is more of, this is more of a fan experience. This is an alternate take and this is a a director who is just he, it, this is a love letter to his fans, a dedication to his dearly departed daughter and a chance to just show us everything he had in the tank. And when you observe it from that vantage point, it's a great time. It's a great time. Even with the things that drag, even with Superman having an inexplicable black suit, <laughs> Even with certain plot points that, like, "Mm, that doesn't really make sense when you have a hero who could basically teleport anywhere in a matter of seconds. Um, Or, like, why did it take this villain so long to do this if he's had this item he's been searching for for, like, 40 minutes? Why did he give everyone else a chance to find him? Yeah, like, you, you could totally go down certain rabbit holes and go, wait a minute, this doesn't make a lot of sense or the logic doesn't really hold or whatever. But if you view this more as the experience of what it is, I think you're going to have a pretty damn good time because I did. And I got the goosebumps. I got the tears. I got, there were times where I had to sit up and I'm on the edge of my seat, invested in what comes next. And the thing that keeps coming back to me is that the overhaul was fucking pointless. And that's coming from me, someone who was happy with the overhaul. Someone who, you know, before knowing anything about Autumn Snyder or all the personal trials and tribulations, just on the surface, when I heard that they're going to tweak DC and make it a little more family-friendly and a little more, like, the you know, like old-fashioned and traditional and less of this like darker heavy metal sort of version that Zack Snyder's trying to tell I was all for it I wanted to see these characters portrayed differently but now that I've seen what Snyder had in mind I'm starting to second guess that you know I'm starting to really feel like this guy actually has a vision that I can buy into and it took him a few years to refine that vision And he had to give us a four-hour freaking movie to show us the full breadth of what he can do. But this guy has more storytelling goods than I was willing to give him credit for, you know, or that even I realized at the time. Because this film is chock full of great little moments, and it really just blew me away. And the last thing I'll say in this non-spoiler review portion of things is if you're worried like I was, if you're worried about this quote-unquote massive cliffhanger ending don't be because speaking from my personal experience that gate that made me a little nervous because it made me worry that i was about to spend four hours watching something that doesn't have a real ending you know because a true cliffhanger leaves you with that feeling of oh i got it but what happens next we didn't get the, we didn't get the final thing we didn't get the ending we were left with a piece of the story that now we have to see the next thing in order for this to be a complete experience you know so i thought that's what this was going to be i was worried i'm like wait a minute am i going to spend four full hours in snyder's world and still not get like a proper ending what a pain in the ass that's going to be but good news folks yes there is the cliffhanger element but the film also does have its own proper ending, and you can just enjoy the film as the four-hour standalone ride it is, as opposed to it, it feeling incomplete without the next part of the saga, you know? And, this, and that's the interesting part now, right? Because now there's probably going to be a fair amount of demand for the next part of the saga, and it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Will HBO Max hear them out? Will Warner Brothers Pictures finally kind of pay attention to what's going on there with the the Snyderverse end of things? Is there enough numbers at HBO Max and social media justification to proceed with the Justice League 2? I mean, listen, there's going to be lots of questions for us to explore in the weeks and months ahead, especially once I launch Superman on film next month. You know, there's lots of interesting stuff on the horizon now that this film has come out and it's been largely liked and largely embraced by geek culture. um, It's going to be interesting. It really is. Because if you go back to last week's show, I was pretty skeptical. You know, and all those reasons still hold true. And I'm going to bring them up again later when I talk to Seth, because I do feel like we need to have realistic expectations. Anyone thinking that they're going to green light a sequel in the first three days, like they did with Wonder Woman 84, you guys are in for a rude awakening. I would be shocked if they announce anything anytime soon. It's going to take some time for them to figure out what's going to happen, because first, They got to see how many people subscribed and streamed and saw it on the service. Then they got to see how many people actually stuck around. Because like I said, if a a bunch of people signed up on March 17th and then canceled March 19th, they're not going to see a lot of stock in this audience. And they're not going to want to cater to this audience too much. But then the other thing that has to happen is if those first two things happen, if HBO Max is making tons of money, And it's working out for them. If the buzz continues to be generally favorable and there's people campaigning for the continuation of the Snyderverse, the third thing that has to happen now is Warner Max and Warner Media need to get on the same page. Because Warner Media is where the film department is, and that's where Toby Emmerich and Walter Hamada are kind of ruling the roost. And then there's Warner Max, where like Jason Kalar and Casey Bloys and other people are sort of running things. They're going to have to talk. If this actually becomes a success, which again, I don't know yet if it will. But based on the initial response to this movie, there's definitely reason to think that this could lead to more things. This could create a tidal wave of positive buzz and people clamoring and signing more petitions and creating new hashtags. The same stuff that got the Snyder Cut released to begin with could replay itself again for his overall Snyderverse. But this time around, the big thing will be getting all of the behind the scenes entities on the same page. And that is going to be The tough part in all this, you know, because it was one thing when HBO Max was just trying to green light a movie that was already in the can. But to now get them to green light a two hundred and fifty million dollar sequel to that movie, that's going to be that is a very, very tall ask. So at least at least it's a tall ask that has some merit now. You know, now that the movie is out and the buzz is is largely very good. Um, listen, I, I, I'm all ears. I am open to whatever comes. And you know me, I'm not about speaking in absolutes. I'm not going to say one way or the other that there's no way the Snyderverse is going to continue or that it absolutely will. All I can say is the movie being as good as it turned out, has definitely created possibilities for us, but okay. So now I'm going to go ahead and bring on another big Superman fan who also happens to be a gigantic Zack Snyder fan who was basically doing backflips all week because he got to see it on Tuesday. And I've been hearing him rave about it. So I had to get my buddy from Man of Metropolis, Mr. Seth Travis, here on the show to share his jubilant response to the film. So here is my conversation with Seth. And afterward, we'll meet up again for some spoiler thoughts on Zack Snyder's Justice League. All right, so here I am with Mr. Seth Travis, the creative director of Man of Metropolis. And we're here to talk some Zack Snyder's Justice League. How you doing, Seth?
1: I'm great. I'm excited. This is going to be great. I've seen the film three times. What? And you're the first person outside of my friend in Chicago who I've discussed this with outside (laughs) of Twitter, so... Um, I'm I'm excited. Let's do it. So,
0: so so to be clear, you have spent 12 hours in the Snyderverse this week. How did that feel?
1: That's funny. A friend of mine tweeted me last night, and he's like, "You watched that movie 12 hours straight," and I was like, "No, no, 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 no." I got a <laughs> press. I got a press um, link back on Monday. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, with the server issues, I didn't get to see it until Tuesday. Yeah, morning. that was. Just started one final
0: extra wrinkle in the story.
1: Yeah, totally, right? Um, started at 7.30 in the morning and got to watch it all the way through and, and watched it again the next day. And then, of course, I yeah. wanted to get to HBO Max, stream, love, mm-hmm. yesterday on launch day. So, yeah, I mean, 12 hours of Snyder Cut. It, uh, yeah. No, no regrets, man. It's incredible.
0: And, and this is interesting, too, because, like, you know, you seem like someone who you've been waiting for this a very long time, right? You've been a fan of Zack Snyder's vision for a long time, and you've been waiting to see what he had in mind. So this must yeah. have been extra rewarding for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had grown up like yourself, like, loving Superman, and I know we had that cool Superman um, chat on Twitter the other day. Yes, we did. like. I was too young to read comics when I first discovered Superman. So yeah. Christopher Reeve's Superman was like that first connection for me. But now, like as a full fledged adult, like I was 33 years old when Man of Steel came out and mm-hmm. technically, Superman, Man of Steel was 33 in that film. Wow. It was,
0: yeah.
1: Um, and so that for me was just such a, you know, hot connection. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when Batman versus Superman came out, I mean, I, I'm not a big Rotten Tomatoes guy mm-hmm. and I don't. Read people like critics' reviews until yeah. I see it. I try to get their opening night, and I was actually blown away by BBS. And so, even
0: you know, the theatrical cut, huh?
1: You know, I thought the theatrical cut was great, but when the ultimate cut came out, it was like, ah,
0: ah there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Watched BBS' ultimate cut more than Man of Steel. That's how much I like that film. But at any rate, you know, I definitely knew going into the Snyder cut what Zack Snyder is capable of, kind of when unharnessed. Um, And even through a pandemic and even through sort of the drama of the last four years of sort of all the behind the scenes stuff, it was just such a epic, powerful, emotional journey.
0: Yeah. That's why for me, too, like when, when I talk about seeing this movie, it's hard for me to discuss it as just a movie. Because to me, it's also just an overall experience. It, it, it's the climax to the last five years of, of the ins and outs of this movie getting made and all the crazy stories that went into it and all of you know, the, the, the hopes and prayers that, that Snyder had sort of put into this story that he wanted to tell, that people wanted to see come to fruition. So for me, like, yeah, when I was sitting down watching it, I wasn't watching it from just the standard metric of, oh, how good of a movie is this? For me, it was like this was an overall experience. This was us getting to see the full breadth of his vision. And, you know, this is not necessarily the movie that would have come out in 2017, which is another interesting conversation because they would not have let it be four hours back then, right? So this is more of just like... This isn't even an attempt to be what that would have been in 2017. This is like showing his fans, here's all the things I had in mind for you that could have happened, you know? So when you view it more more from that way and less as like, well, how is this as a start to finish movie? I feel like it's even better because the experience of it, the whole, all the little things that he did, like even sneaking in the uh, You Are Not Alone uh, suicide prevention billboard into the flash scene. Like there's so many things in there that are so sort of loving and personal that he probably would not have even done in the original cut in 2017. That's like, to me it's like, it's just, again, you can't judge this based as a movie. You can judge this as the overall experience of finally getting to see this damn thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I know like a lot of critics and, and folks on Twitter are talking a lot about how this is going to be such an incredible, you know, course to take, mm-hmm. you know, going back to the theatrical cut and then looking at the Snyder cut and comparing and contrasting sort of art direction and decision making. Yeah. Time and VFX quality. I mean, it's going to be really incredible, um, an incredible opportunity for movie makers and creators to sort of um, dissect it. Right. And yes. Yes at that level but I've seen a couple of um, comparisons on YouTube that came that, yeah. that uploaded in the last 24 hours where they were showing like the flash scene that Whedon did versus the Snyder cut scene when mm-hmm. he met Bruce Wayne um, or actually one that was really powerful, powerful for me this morning was um, seeing a huge action moment at the beginning of the film with Wonder Woman that they just cut. Yeah. And, um, film which it's like why would you cut that it's it, you know if you've read any comics let alone a Wonder Woman comic that scene was so Wonder Woman you know mm-hmm. where she's just moving her hands and arms and I mean uh and I, you know one thing I want to say about yeah sort of being, a, being a part of the journey in the last four years that I think is really interesting um, and I'm not a, I'm not like a Broadway die-hard person but I do really love theater and I have a lot of friends in theater and for anybody watching that is familiar or listening that's mm-hmm. familiar with Broadway and theater you know, they workshop these scripts and these yeah. plays and the choreography and the songwriting and the, and the makeup and the hair and the costumes. And- yeah, it
0: doesn't just show up ready. It's, it's a
1: long right. process. So by the time you go to like Hamilton, for example, mm-hmm. like by the time Hamilton became this massive hit, you know, that everyone talked about for six or seven years before we got it on Disney Plus, like that, that creation was workshopped before That's an it got interesting to the point where we all at got this. to see it in a theater. And so, you know, one of the things I think that I really hope everyone in the fandom at an HBO Max and Warner Media and film critics see sort of in the Snyder Cut is, you know, drama and tragedy aside, which is very serious and very important and part of the context of this story forever, mm-hmm. that I think Zack Snyder had an opportunity over the last four years to workshop certain ideas that maybe he wasn't given permission back mm-hmm. in 2016. 2017 and then I just have to give the Jared Leto Joker scene the the (laughs) shout out it deserves because I have chills talking about it (laughs) Um, I don't want to say that that one very small short scene stole the whole movie but I I do want to say that I think we could potentially get some things in the next you know 5-10 years from DC and from Snyder and from Jared Leto that we might have never seen ever in our Lives. I know that sounds really mm-hmm. dramatic. You know, wa- I've watched the scene three times now, and and uh, I mean, Jared Leto is a living legend as far mm-hmm. as I can. Yeah. actor. So, yeah, I just wanted to talk about the workshopping thought and idea because it's like, yeah, there were certain moments in the film that were kind of proof of concept and mm-hmm. like, well, to get with flash or flashpoint what we could get with more henry cavill's superman what we could get if we return to the original warrior version of wonder woman yeah and i hope that all of those seeds that that zach was able to plant through the snyder cut yeah um i hope we water them and i hope we give them sun and i hope they grow and i hope we get the snyder verse
0: yeah i mean and, and i guess because there's a few permutations of what could happen next Yeah, there, there could be a continuation of what's happening already, which is where Warner Brothers Pictures basically is kind of ignoring this project and moving on and pushing forward with their own views on what the DC film verse should be. And they're going into the multiverse and they're, you know, they're going to use that Flash movie to sort of reset some things. And, you know, so that's, you know, that's like the current plan. Heading into this, they, they wanted to treat this like one and done cul-de-sac. We've moved on, but enjoy this for what it was. Then there's the possibility of, okay, now it's a big hit, so now we're going to allow that to continue exclusively as an HBO Max thing, while we on the big screen continue to push forward where we want to go. So that's like plan B, where they can both safely coexist. But then I feel like there's also option C where they could say based on the success of just of Zack Snyder's Justice League let's bring this back into the main continuity where even the movies now are following up on what just you know what Zack Snyder planted there so there's kind of like a few different ways this could go i guess which, which way would excite you the most like would you if, if all these Snyderverse continuations that could potentially come are on HBO Max are you bummed about that because you wish they were in movies or is that going to be good enough for you
1: Listen, I think anything Zack Snyder, you know, whether it's on YouTube, <laughs> it's on HBO Max, um, you know, or in, in IMAX yeah. would be incredible. Yeah. You know, I, I, I look at the future of the DCEU both from a creative perspective because mm-hmm. of you know sort of what I do for a living, but also yeah. from an executive uh, perspective because I understand production costs. I understand working with different creative visions. I understand when projects go right and when projects go wrong. Yeah. And you know, I would ultimately say that and I don't want to reference, you know, the creative visionary over at Marvel because I don't think it's fair to Zach because I think Zach is that good. Yeah. And so for people to say that he would be this version for the DCU, mm-hmm. I think is silly, so I won't go there, but what I will say is, you know, Zach has proven himself time and time again even in the face of ridiculous odds with having a film taken away from him. Having personal things in his life happen that are devastating, living in a pandemic. Yeah. Like you look at all of the hurdles that Zach has overcome to create what we've witnessed this week. I would just sort of argue to the cinematic universe and to you know Jason Kylar and HBO Max and Warner Media, etc. Like, what can Zach do completely unharnessed, unfurled, yeah. without yeah. living in a pandemic, without Being given, you know, two directors on site watching every sort of thing he's doing. Yeah. So, yeah, my answer would be I would love to see C. I would love for them to see that Zach is a visionary. That doesn't necessarily mean that he needs to direct every Mm -hmm, film. mm -hmm. Just sort
0: of set the tone, though. Come up with the overall master plan.
1: And I, I think it would be silly at this point for how deep and far Marvel is and with their storytelling and their characters to try to, be, try to be them or try to do anything that they're doing. Let them do what they're doing. I just watched the first episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier, and I thought there were some really strong moments in that. I mm-hmm. um, didn't love WandaVision, but I do think as you got towards the end of that series, I thought it was really interesting, and every week I wanted more. Yeah, Obviously, like Infinity War and Endgame were incredible, and it was awesome to see all of these characters unite. But yeah. I think what, again, you sort of see it from critics and Zach himself, but I think what separates... You know DC Comics characters from Marvel is I think especially what Zach has done is Zach has looked at them as like these mythic historical yeah. legends. You know when you watch Wonder Woman walk into that tomb, yeah, see all of that artwork as if it was almost like Egyptian ancient artwork mm-hmm. telling. It's like let's double and triple down on that because yeah. I mean ah oh, I mean just even sort of the Vikings feeling that you get mm-hmm. from the Age of Heroes shot so. Yeah, I mean, like, take all my money. I will watch these movies until I'm in the grave. I, 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 I believe that Zack Snyder proved himself over and over again yeah. in the Snyder Cut. And I, I pray and hope, you know, when they greenlit Wonder Woman 3 the day after '84. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. yeah. Hoping, I'm hoping for something today. I'm hoping we get, like, a vanityfair.com <laughs> article or a Hollywood reporter announcement, like, I'm hoping.
0: Yeah, see, I, I have a feeling that that's, it's going to go a little differently this time because like, because I, I one of the reasons that they, they were able to do that last time like with Wonder Woman eighty four, they were able to do that because Warner Brothers already wants to be in the Wonder Woman business right and and they already and Warner Brothers, the film division paid for that movie and you know they, they're invested in completing that trilogy and they know that people are interested in Patty Jenkins and all the and, and Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman in this particular case it's a little different because this movie was already pretty much done so it's easy to greenlit the, the Snyder Cut right because it was already most of it was already sitting there and they just had to finish it but now to ask HBO Max to so like can you spend like 200 250 million dollars on, on, on a sequel Yeah, you know, that's going to be hard I feel like without getting Toby Emmerich and the film division involved it's yeah. going to be really hard and i feel like that's going to be the uphill battle because even if the numbers are through the roof and the socials are through the roof to ask a streamer to now plop down over 200 million dollars on a sequel that's a yeah. tall ask you know so they're going to have to get on the same page with warner media about where we proceed from here you know
1: yeah.
0: so that's kind of like the uh,
1: i think the silver lining you know talking about not trying to be marvel mm-hmm. I think one thing, especially Zach's approach to filmmaking, that is a plus if we don't get C option, mm-hmm. but if we had, I think A option was HBO Max, is I think a, you know, a Death in the Family type streaming mm. series with Ben Affleck yeah. and Jared Leto. And I think Dylan O'Brien would be an incredible Robin um, and yeah, he already, yeah. from yeah. The, um, the Maze Runner franchise. Yeah, yeah, I know Dylan O'Brien. Also, yeah. Which I think we got to think marketing here. Yeah. So that, that gives Zach a chance to film. Like he already films long, right? He already <laughs> shoots the hell yes. out of which if you're a huge fan you're fine with yes. So then great you have eight episodes at an hour an episode i mean that's incredible freedom for zach and we all want to see more leto and more ben affleck or batfleck yeah um i know they already did the green lantern core they greenlit it and they're developing it i think they're supposed to be shooting this year mm-hmm. um but i think also the amazons should be like
0: yes that oh, i should, hope they do well with that There's so much potential there
1: with that they need to do a series with that yes. i mean Marvel and Disney doesn't have anything like that—that that level of empowerment and and mythic sort of women in these legendary strong roles with incredible acting and Connie. What's Connie's last name? I forget.
0: Connie Nielsen, Nelson she Nielsen. Is, yeah,
1: like you just feel every yeah. every. Expression She's sensational. Yeah, so it's like throw as much money at her as you can. Lock yeah. her, in her contract. Do a series. So yeah, I think in that respect, I think doing those couple of series could could really benefit um, or could really work for HBO Max. And God, I hope, worst case scenario, and it's not even bad because it's like, as long as we get to see these stories told, Yeah. Um, if we get a JL2 and a JL3 and HBO Max, fine by me.
0: Yeah, my hope, my hope for the project really, or, or moving forward, like if they do decide we're going to, you know, invest some more in the Snyderverse, I hope that their messaging and their marketing is clearer because mm. I feel like, One of the things that that gave Snyder's film a sort of uphill battle a few years back was that there was like a misconception as to what these films were even trying to be. You know, like, people thought that the, that DC was trying to make its own MCU, its own sort of, like, you know, everlasting, evergreen franchise that's that's four quadrants, and, well, kids will love it, and grandparents will love it, and it's this safe sort of family action comedy vibe, right? Yeah. And yeah. and where it's seemingly going to go on forever. You know, we're already on year 11 of this, and it's there's still more phases coming. So yeah. people thought that Snyder was trying to launch something akin to that. And when you look at the movies in that filter, it looks like, well, what are we doing here? This is, this feels like a, this is aimed towards adults. This is darker. This is, this feels almost more like an world rather than the classic versions. But I feel like if somehow audience knew it, I don't know how they could have done it, but if they could have marketed these movies more like, this is a limited run. These are, we have a select, you Zack Snyder is going to do this arc of films and you know, it's, it has a beginning, middle and end and that's it. People might have gone into it with more of an open mind. If people realize, oh, okay, so this isn't really meant to be like the 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 standard bearer of all these characters and this franchise that we have to follow for the next 20 years. This is like a five-chapter story that we're going to watch. And then when it's over, we'll go back to like regularly scheduled programming. You know what I mean? Like they should have found a way to convey that.
1: I think though, you know, I I really believe this, um, and I, you know, listen, I don't, I've never worked with Zack Snyder, yeah. but you know, I think, especially this last year, is like I feel like I've watched and read everything that comes out of his world, mm-hmm. um, you know, and of course years before. But I think Zack Snyder is an artist; he's not a content strategist. I think Kevin Feige is probably more of a content strategist. I think Zach is smart, right? Because Zach surrounds himself with the best writers, mm-hmm. the best yeah, BEX teams. And so I think he's able, I'm just sort of thinking if I'm an artist painting one portrait or one landscape, mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about the next 20 landscapes and portraits yeah. I'm on. I'm thinking about like, what color pink do I want the flower to be in this field? Yes, And I honestly think that that is how laser focused um, Zach is on the piece he's working on right now. Mm-hmm. I think maybe one of the things that has benefited you know, Marvel and sort of their longevity or their runway, if you will, is I think that they've been more focused on how many fl- pink flowers are going to be in the next 20 paintings.
0: I <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're thinking so, very macro. Sure. macro and-
1: that example, but but I, I truthfully believe that because BVS for me, like, it just blew my mind every minute. I think, you know, it's weird to say this and I think you're the first person I'm saying it. I'm saying it on video now too, so I'm going to be like helpful. <laughs> but... For me, BVS, I think, is perfect. Yeah. And I know it got so much crazy hate and it divided people, but I felt like it was so genius because it, it ripped certain playbooks and storylines from comics, but then it had its own sort of storyline in itself and it sort of took some of reality, you know, it was almost like taking comic book stuff, taking Man of Steel and mixing it with sort of some some of the things that um, Christopher Nolan did with the Dark Knight series. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm a Snyder fan. Yes, yes
0: uh, But for yeah. me Even as, as a not Snyder fan what I could say as a compliment and and kind of working in tandem with what you said about BVS for me like BVS was a film that had lots of ambition and potential but for me personally the execution didn't meet the ambition Mm-hmm. Um, And even there's parts for me in Man of Steel where that rings true, but in Zack Snyder's Justice League was the first time I felt like the execution is meeting the ambition and then some. Where like I could see what he's going for, and he's also hitting it out of the park at the same yeah. time. A lot of times, like my issue with Snyder is like I see what he's going for, but the way he's trying to get there is kind of you're losing me. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, either there was a a better or more efficient way to do this, or whatever. You know, yeah. but Zack Snyder's Justice League to me was the first time where I'm, I'm sitting there going, "Wow, this." He has big ideas, and he's rising to the occasion to tell them effortlessly. Yeah, and it's like now it's like that's why for me, I would love to see a continuation of the verse with the Zack Snyder we have today because sure. I do feel like the workshopping process has perhaps has perhaps you know, made him a better filmmaker, has made him, has helped him to try to convey his ideas. So that's really cool. And with that in mind, I'm right there with you, that if they want to bring him back on as a pseudo architect, I mean, I would say I'm more plan B though. I would like that if he was the architect specifically of the like HBO Max DC stuff. I don't know that I'm necessarily wanting him to step back into the main continuity of things. So I think that's where we differ a little bit. I mean, I think you take either, right? As long yeah. as he's back in some way.
1: I mean so okay, I don't know what year it is. It might have been 2004, 2008 yeah. or something, but like there is a Jeep TV ad that Zack yeah. Snyder shot. I don't know if you're, they're playing frisbee. Do you know have you no, seen that? No, I ad? don't know that one. I got to look so it up. They're like, I don't know if they're I don't know if they're in like the Red Rocks or they're in the Grand Canyon. There's somewhere where there are like four or five people in Jeep Cherokees and Jeep Wranglers and they're playing frisbee and like one of them drops the frisbee like down in the canyon. Yeah. And one guy goes like, "I'll get it." and they have to jump in their Jeep and, like, drive
0: down. Oh, okay. Yeah, That actually does sound familiar, yeah. I
1: guess the point is, like, you know, what I think Zach is just, you know, an incredible talent and a visionary and finds a way, even in a creative 30-second ad, to connect with you. So, you know, it, for me, I think, like, whether he's going to connect with me on HBO Max or in an IMAX theater, like, you know, I'm ready for it, I'm there for it. And, you know, I will say this. I think... There are some lessons that Zach has learned in the last four years, right? Yeah. You know, whether it's, you know, whether I think there was an interview that ran in the New York Times on Sunday, um, and the journalist who interviewed him has actually said some really kind of negative, very subjective mm. things up here in years in the past. So it was yeah. very interesting that he scored that interview. But Zach, I think, has become very diplomatic. And not to say that yes. he hasn't, hasn't ever in the past, but I think it's almost like he has grown in his storytelling power. Yes. And grown in his um director powers and i think that maybe he's developed relationships that maybe he hasn't in the past and so if yeah. there's ever time for him to be more unleashed um it's it's now yeah um, and as far as the cinematic universe as you talked about I, you know i never saw it uh, mm-hmm. but i'm just to see what machete does yeah from yeah, yeah. background you know he's he's uh latino you the castings he's doing is embracing yeah. Um, I think Wonder well, the first Wonder Woman that Patty Jenkins directed that was you know, co-produced um, by Zack Snyder I thought was as close to Black Panther as the DCEU has gotten in terms of connecting sort of with a global audience where everyone yeah. just fell in love with the character and fell in love with, with the world, uh, mm-hmm. the So I think in that respect, like absolutely, I think we we hope and I hope that Warner Brothers and the DCEU find other creative, talented directors to help tell these stories. I'm really anxious for a Green Lantern. Um, I hope, you know, as you saw, I'm sure you saw on Twitter, um, Ryan Reynolds live tweeted his watch party. Um, (laughs) I went to Green Lantern on opening day. I'm a huge fan of Ryan Reynolds. Obviously there were a ton of problems with that movie. But, you know, I'm such a hopeless romantic. Yeah. This guy, so it's like Zack Snyder got his justice with the Snyder Cut. And I would love to see. Um, I would love to see a Green Lantern film. I don't know who would direct it. I, I can't think of a director yeah. off the top of my head. But I would love to see Ryan Reynolds maybe in the first fifteen minutes of the movie give up his ring and pass it on to a Johnson mm. or something. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I could talk for hours about all the things I would love to see.
0: Of course, of course. I, I actually, it, I, let me ask you specifically. Of all the different things that were teased in the Snyder cut is there like what's the thing that you're most like oh I want to see where that goes you know like what what's the thing that you want to see most urgently putting you on the spot there seth
1: yeah that's hard okay <laughs> two answers
0: okay go for it
1: um you know so you know outside of the man of steel bubble right mm-hmm. like if nobody had an opinion of how man of steel and superman was portrayed in that movie and in BBS You know, I know that Henry Cavill's version of Superman was a little bit more, I don't want to say dark. I want to Mm -hmm. say he's deeper. Yes. Right? He's had experiences. He's lived his life. He's had challenges. He's trying to find out who he was. For me, I really connected with that. Yeah. But I've also sort of seen a lot of people out there that have wanted a more like, you know, happy, more hopeful version of Superman. Yeah. And the scene with, spoiler alert, the scene with Clark Kent in the field with Lois. Where he has the white butterfly on his fingers, mm-hmm. that was such a symbol for rebirth for me. Yes, and I yes. think that is such an opportunity for everyone involved with casting Henry Cavill, with writing Man of Steel, with writing BVS and, and Justice League, Zack's Justice League. Like that is such an incredible opportunity to to do their own version of a reboot with yeah. Henry Cavill as Superman. Mm-hmm. He, you know, we saw him open up his jacket yes. in a black suit, right? So it's like you could start Man of Steel two, or they could call it Last Son of Krypton. You could call or it Man Steel of Tomorrow. Or, yeah, right. All of these options you have. Yeah. Where you see him in a red and blue suit again? Yeah. It's it's this rebirthed version of Superman. Yeah. Um, so that would be my first answer because Superman is absolutely my favorite, mm-hmm. and connects so so well with henry cavill's version and 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 with this hopefully rebirthed version that we saw when he showed up with Stephen yeah um and i you know i think my second answer is i would love to see a ben affleck jared leto i
0: knew you were going to say that yeah, yeah yeah um you
1: know i it was like the, 1987 when robin was killed in the comics right maybe mm-hmm. 88 but yeah. i remember i was at a baseball park with my brother little league baseball match. Yeah. all the kids were passing that comic back and forth <laughs>
0: And this I remember crazy.
1: just being like, they killed Robin, you know, <laughs> and seeing the images. And I think, you know, I loved, you know, I loved Michael Keaton's Batman and I, you know, I know that they got campier and campier and they yeah. recast Bruce Wayne and recast um, Batman, but I've always sort of felt sorry for the Robin character. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we need to blame the 1950s and 60s TV show for that, or if we blame the comic book writers and storytellers. I think you know Chris O'Donnell's character version of Robin was written cheesy and terrible. Mm. From the if anybody could redeem Robin, <laughs> it is Zack Snyder because he, I think <laughs> yeah. he's like he's like you know I don't know if it's death metal, but he is like taking DC Comics characters yeah. and putting it through like a rock and roll lens. Yeah.
0: So, well to and me like, I, I liken it's like punk rock. You know, it's like punk rock is the anti-establishment, it's yeah. just the thumb your nose, and this is who we are. I feel yeah. like Zack Snyder's making punk rock DC movies. So it's funny for you yeah. to mention it you know, that way.
1: So I mean, listen, if I if I was at DC Comics and you know, or Warner Brothers, whoever is truly in charge of like the IP of yeah. these characters, and we were like, we need to fix this character, who can do it? Yeah. Nobody else. Nobody else could redeem and fix and evolve the Robin character better than Zack Snyder in a movie. Nobody.
0: Look at that. How's that for a ringing endorsement? But also, how shocking is it that the guy who is the creative director for Man of Metropolis, his first thing was, I want to see more Superman. I knew you were going to guess that. Who could have said that? And uh, shockingly, I'm on the same page. Who would have thought the two guys who were just on Twitter spaces last week under the you know, I love Superman discussion yeah. would both be champing at the bit to see more Henry Cavill Superman? Because I'm with you. I'm with you that we can go some really special places with Henry. And I even feel that, like, from the farm on, he's mm-hmm. the he is like the classic Superman that, that most people claim they were begging to see more of, myself included. Yeah. He felt recognizable and three-dimensional, and there was something about him that was like, oh, I want to see more stories with this guy. So that's why, to me, too, it makes it bittersweet because it's like, I hope this gets picked up. I hope this gets picked up because Cavill's Superman in this was left in a great position to go to some really exciting places. You know, and even if even if you don't want to go to the whole nightmare thing and have him go evil and all that stuff cuz I feel like that was one of the studio's big concerns. Right. Even if you don't want to go there, right? You can still sort of Augment the path that these movies were going to take we don't necessarily have to and this is where it gets controversial Right, because this is going against Snyder's original idea, but bear with me Seth Because if you make it more like if you were to make a movie that's about avoiding it Like 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 Terminator 2 Judgment Day where yes Mm -hmm. you open and there's flash-forwards of this apocalyptic future where everything went wrong But we don't Mm -hmm. really spend a lot of time there It's about our heroes in the present trying to stop that from happening If you do a movie like that, that's basically all about trying to prevent the lowest death and whatever. So we avoid Judgment Day. I think you could have a Superman story that where he doesn't end up the evil, dark Superman that people were, you know, kind of like, I don't want to see that. You know what I mean? I feel like there's a way to tell this story still. And that's why it boggles the mind that they brought in Joss Whedon and changed everything. Because there's nothing that Snyder presented here that could not have been followed up on in a later sequel. You know, I I mean honestly, even like what, what you brought up Wonder Woman, what Patty Jenkins did with Wonder Woman, where she took the seeds he planted and still made this awesome movie out of it and did her own unique things. James yeah. Wan took seeds that Zack Snyder planned planted. And then yeah. again, he added his own thing and made this awesome billion dollar Aquaman movie. So yeah. I feel like why couldn't Superman have gotten that treatment? You know, with this cut, like why, you know, it it it, it, ugh, it drives me nuts. And that he was it's been
1: in it anyway right because we knew like we knew that this film was about batman building an alliance Mm -hmm. building this justice league yeah we knew that there was going to be sort of that crescendo to bringing superman back like we all knew like it's different in 2017 none of us knew like none of us knew what was going to happen until we saw the theatrical cut but yeah yeah i think you know to your point about man of steel and superman and henry cavill coming back you know i think the thing too about exploring like evil superman versus this hopeful superman Mm -hmm. is that's an incredible opportunity from like a marketing and testing strategy standpoint. Mm -hmm. It can green light, whether you want to call it a man of steel two or like you said, man of tomorrow. Yeah. Give us that hopeful Superman end to end.
0: Yeah. And see how people
1: react to see evil Superman in that. Right. Give, give, give us that end to end green light JL two and three, and let Zach tell that story. But as we just saw in a four hour movie, like, we might get evil Superman for 10 whole minutes in a four-hour sequel. Yeah, yeah. So Very true. to me, that's interesting, that's exciting, that's different, that uh, breaks monotony, um, it's shocking, it's surprising. Like, isn't that what we want in a massive movie?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: to feel those emotions and not, yeah. you know, I think let's talk about Superman Returns really quickly. <laughs> that was a film that was really leaning on nostalgia. Mm-hmm. That was a film that was really leaning on paying homage that was a film that did everything that like a lot of people online say they want or say Superman is, and it didn't work. It wasn't terrible. I'm not yeah. going to trash it. But for me, if I had to compare Man of Steel versus Superman Returns, you know, whether you like Man of Steel or you don't, whether you like Superman Returns or you don't, you have to give Man of Steel credit for being fresh, for being unexpected, for um, giving you a Superman you've never seen before. Um, whether you liked it or not, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. For me, it's it's about. um, I think it's about doing something special and different rather than mm-hmm. just eating something. Because even yeah. with Wonder Woman, right? Like, I think we both have common ground here. We both yes. love Docs, yeah. We both love Wonder Woman. I think what was so awesome if you connect the original Wonder Woman film by Patty Jenkins and then you come to Snyder cut Wonder Woman, those are the same Wonder Woman. Yes. Those that we love both versions. Mm-hmm. You can agree. I think both you and I and both viewers around the world want to see that again. And mm-hmm. I think there were really cute moments and sweet moments in 84, but I think we all want to see a badass Wonder Woman. Yeah, I agree.
0: I agree. It, it'd be funny if that just becomes what this all becomes about. This entire conversation was we all want a badass Wonder Woman. And that's how <laughs> it all winds up. No, but listen, I, y- y- you're bringing up a lot of great points. And Listen, what's so cool about this week, about this movie coming out, is that now it feels like there are all these possibilities again, you know? And honestly, for me, and that's a lot for me to be excited about these possibilities, because I, you know... I was sort of fine with moving on before I, you know, before I knew more and before I experienced more and went through these last four years with everyone. But I was kind of happy to kind of like, all right, listen, I wasn't in love with Snyder's version of things. Let's give this new direction a shot. But this new direction has been very kind of hit or miss. You know, Wonder Woman 84, like you said, was, it was OK, but it was a weird there were some weird creative decisions there. And, and Birds of Prey, I wasn't in love with, but it, it was there. It was fine. Yeah, but like it, to me, it feels like the movies since they ditched Snyder have kind of lost any kind of identity or, or personality or feel. And yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting now to feel like, no, where he is today, I want to see more of what he has in mind. Yes, and now I, we're here in the multiverse where it can all happen and we can have our cakes and eat it too. And yeah. what an amazing time to be a Superman fan, right Seth?
1: Absolutely. And Mario, I should say one last thing yeah. on my end is I truly believe now, following the release of the Snyder Cut, we are living in the age of heroes. Yeah. And I think that's something that we all need to really focus on, yeah. no matter what your preference or character or mm-hmm. storyline that you take out of this film Is the opportunity that this has created for all of us as fans for future creatives for artists for actors is it should all be seen as positive that right now we're living in the age of heroes.
0: I love that Seth. How can people find you over on the Twitter if they want to hear more wonderful inspirational quotes like those.
1: Yeah, it's at Seth Travis on Twitter and if you love fashion like I do at man of Metropolis on Instagram.
0: I love it, Seth. I'm gonna have to have you on again soon. This was way too much fun, man. This but is thank so you. Fun. Thank yeah.
1: You, yep.
0: It was great having Seth to talk about all that, and now I'm gonna go into some stuff that's a, that's a little more on the uh, in the murky territory when it comes to Zack Snyder's Justice League, because you know there are some legitimate questions that have come up since this film came out. Since this film came out, a lot of people are wondering what was it about this direction that they found so abhorrent that they were willing to do the insane things they did to overhaul that movie. And look, it's very hard to justify it because just based on the creative, as I, as I mentioned to Seth, you really could have continued from here. You could have just gone on from this point. You could have released the Snyder cut possibly as a two-parter if you wanted. Or chop it down to some lower, you know. Again, that that makes me anxious because I know that when they chopped down BVS, it became a far inferior film to the Ultimate Edition, which still isn't my app my cup of tea, mind you. But I know that his longer cuts are always better than his shorter cuts. And With that in mind, with this Justice League that we got, it's very clear that if they would have just hired more directors like Jenkins and Juan and other people to just come and take Zack's ideas and now go to the next level with them, they could have. There wasn't anything about the path that Snyder put them on that was unavoidable. Because look, even if, okay, even if you want to say, we don't want to do the dark side thing, you know, Marvel's doing Thanos, we don't want to do dark side just yet, we really want to do Legion of Doom, right? Which is, we know what they ended up wanting to do. That even even before Whedon came on that John Berg and Jeff Johns were kind of pushing the, the compromised version of Justice League towards a confrontation with the Legion of Doom as opposed to Darkseid. This sort of stuff has been documented already. And with that in mind, even if they didn't want to go there, Snyder gives them leeway to not go there. In this movie, he creates an opportunity to not do Darkseid yet. Because now that we're in the spoiler zone, remember, at the end, Darkseid's plot is foiled. And we just hear him talking about getting his legions together and coming back at some point to complete the mission. But that could take a million movies. Who knows when that could be? That doesn't have to happen in the next movie. You know, for all we know, Darkseid now is out there amassing his legions because he knows the Earth has its Justice League. And if we're going to go and try to invade these people, this planet, you know, we're going to have to be ready to put up with an unbelievable heroic force protecting Earth. But again... You don't have to go there right away. Nobody's saying that the next movie has to be Darkseid. So if you want to do Justice League 2 about Legion of Doom and Justice League 3 about trying to prevent the lowest death that sends Superman into his insanity and creates the nightmare timeline, and then you get to like a fourth or fifth Justice League movie where now Darkseid finally arrives and all things go to hell, you could do that. You know, there's very little about this movie that could not been followed up on. you know it, it's it's very strange that they went the way they did, completely neutering every everything about a larger, grander picture that Snyder was trying to tell when the stuff that he was planting could have been handled by other filmmakers. And you already did it. Patty Jenkins already took a Snyder idea. And then put her own spin on it and had incredible success with Wonder Woman. James Wan already did that, as I mentioned to Seth. You know, Warner Brothers already had the blueprint for, okay, Snyder has good ideas, but we could bring in other filmmakers to flesh them out. There's nothing about Zack Snyder's Justice League that couldn't have played out that way. So to me, that's the part I really don't understand. There's nothing about what he was planning that backed them into a corner creatively. There really wasn't. You know, you want a happy classic Superman? He ends that way. Yes, we get a flash forward of the nightmare where he's evil again. But the way he's actually depicted in that third act. And at the end, we see him with the shirt rip. Ah, There's my shirt. But look, like everything about this Superman is the classic superman you don't really have to tweak all that i mean i i i could honestly go down each character but each character is given an idea of where to go but nothing is set in stone whereas snyder is forcing the hand of future filmmakers to have to approach the material the same way so to me this idea that warner brothers found it necessary to shoot from may to september completely remaking this justice league movie for what purpose did you do this for what purpose was all this ugliness and that's a question that's come at me like what was it that was so unwatchable or what was it that could have possibly made them do such an extreme thing and the best i can do is guess by the way You know, I don't work over there. I don't know what the hell the studio's priorities are. But I can tell you as an outsider looking in, if I, you know, if I had to guess, I would say they knew that interest in these movies had dropped significantly. Like they must have done some kind of internal testing that prepared them for the fact that the buzz on this Justice League movie is really low. Because, listen, and I discussed this last week, by the time Joss Whedon's version of Justice League arrived in theaters, people had, you know, general audiences had already decided they didn't care about a Justice League movie. That much is made clear by the fact that all the trailers promise a Zack Snyder movie. All the trailers promise this is the next story after BVS. All the trailers promoted this for what everyone thought it was going to be. And it's still only open to 93 million bucks. So that means that like interest had dried up insanely. BVS had a fairly grand opening weekend. And then after that, what happens happens where people now tell their friends whether or not it was worth seeing it. And that's why there's a huge drop off in weekend two. Because for whatever reason, general audiences saw that theatrical cut of BVS and they were left with a crappy taste in their mouths. Right. And that didn't happen with Justice League. People didn't even sample Justice League. Nobody showed up on opening weekend. So I wonder if that's it. I wonder if somehow they knew. Maybe they were doing internal market research. They were doing test screenings. They were polling people who saw BVS and Man of Steel and asked them, are you interested in a Justice League? And I'm, I can only assume that they were doing these kinds of tests and polls and surveys. And the results were that, holy crap, this Justice League movie is going to bomb. So we need to do whatever we can to do a dramatic 180 on BVS. It's either, and, and listen, and this is me trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. This is me trying to apply logic to what is a lot of times a very illogical thing. You know, the filmmaking process, the way Hollywood kind of handles its movies, there's a lot, there's not a lot of logic in place a lot of times. Things are constantly sort of shifting and changing and moving. And sometimes you're at the whim of just what one person in a suit wants to do. So... I'm trying to apply logic to an illogical industry, but if there is any bit of logic to any of what they did to Justice League, it has to be because they knew, they saw already, the writing was on the wall that BVS had soured audiences on even wanting to see a Justice League movie. So that's what made them go, we need to do whatever we can to change this and be a complete opposite of BVS. Because if that's not it, if there wasn't internal testing, if they didn't foresee that low opening weekend, and it's really just because somebody creatively thought things should be differently, yikes, like what unbelievably short-sighted and ridiculous decision-making that was to have to fly all the stars back in and spend all this money on extensive reshoots without delaying the film and the clock is ticking, you're going to create this insane scenario over a movie that could have been salvaged. Now that we've seen it, we know that Zach's ideas could have been salvaged and could have been turned into something bigger and better after the fact. So, I'm telling you, it's either they knew already that the market was poisoned on Zack Snyder's DC movies, or somebody's just a real idiot over there and had a bad idea and they got bad information when they did their online research and they pushed forward on an overhaul that was completely unnecessary. And the whole thing is really just so ridiculous when you realize that these wounds that DC was trying so desperately to heal from were self-inflicted. You know, everything that they did with Justice League here seemed to be an attempt to make up for 2016. Because BVS came out and Suicide Squad came out and they both got less than 30% on Rotten Tomatoes and it really sort of painted this picture of DC's films are sort of lost and they're no good. And while Marvel is having all of this success, DC is just sort of spinning its wheels, putting out all of this overly edgy junk like that, that was sort of the perception that was created in 2016, right? But what happened in 2016? What were those two movies that created these this negative buzz? It was BVS, where they chopped a half hour off it and made an inferior cut of the movie. And it was Suicide Squad, which they took away from David Ayer and made grand sweeping changes to as well. So both of the movies that had them, you know, wounded coming into 2017 were wounds that they themselves gashed into their own sides. Like, at least let the people see what it was that you greenlit. Let them see the movies that you asked Zack Snyder and David Ayer to produce. Ask, let audiences see those before you make these sweeping changes. If you're going to send out studio-compromised cuts of these movies and then freak out when people don't love them, and then you have to overhaul your most important DC film ever, God, you're fucking clueless. And now that I'm allowing myself to talk some spoilers on this end of the episode, I'm going to just delve a little further into a few other things. So I alluded to the fact that the black suit Superman thing was bugging me, right? Well, in that scene, now that we can speak freely, uh, you know, Clark is walking down the scout ship. He's walking through the hallway and all these different suits are presenting themselves to him. And we're hearing quotes from both of his fathers, from both Jor-El and Jonathan. So many of them old, but some of them sound pretty new or perhaps from alternate edits or from, you know, just other films that, you know, alternate takes from earlier films that he reconstituted. Um, but ultimately, Clark turns his back on the red and blue one and we don't see what he's looking at, but you could tell he kind of gives this look at a suit as if like, this is the one, this is the one I need Like that's the culmination of the sequence. We're going through this memory lane. We're hearing all these words that inspired him. We're seeing all the different options for the types of suit he can wear. And then we just focus on his face. We don't see this suit that he's chosen. So that in the next shot, when we see the doors open and he's in the black suit, I guess in theory, we're supposed to feel like, ah, he chose the black suit. Cool. For me... It did nothing for me. Honestly, all of the Superman bits in this movie, which were already like 8 out of 10 for me because of the way they're written and the way Henry played them and the music. Um, <laughs> the Superman bits, which were already an 8 out of 10, would have been 10 out of 10 if he was in the red and blue, if he was in the traditional suit. And especially what makes it extra frustrating is that like it looks like Snyder... Got it backwards. He reversed it somehow. We're like, yes, whenever we see good, nice Henry in this movie, he's in the black suit. But when we get a flash forward later at the nightmare timeline, at evil Superman, he's in the red and blue suit. And it's like, shouldn't it have been the opposite? shouldn't it have been that like in the future when he goes bad, he's an all black, but now when he's returned and he's ready and reinvigorated and all that sort of stuff, now he should be in the red and blue. You know? So to me, that was like the one thing that was pissing me off during that third act where like, yes, I love a lot of this. And it's really amazing to see all these heroes doing all this cool stuff. The fighting is great. The staging of the action is pretty great. I'm so like, dialed in but the only thing that would have made it better was if superman had his traditional colors on you know if they were not going to justify wearing the black suit and give it a reason for existing and it's just clark chose to wear black then it's just like well why did he choose to wear black what was it about this suit that as soon as he saw it he knew oh this is the one this is the suit i have to wear like yet let me know why why did he do that you know i but that's the thing It's funny because I'm asking for an explanation and I like explanations. I do. But more than anything, I like just knowing that the filmmaker thought of these things more than anything. That's why I like when certain things are explained or addressed in a movie because it lets me know, okay, so this storyteller is aware of that and he's addressing it, but that's just not the story he wants to tell. Okay, good. At At least they know about that thing. You know what I mean? So for me, whenever it comes to that, whenever it comes to a director explaining something or addressing an issue in a film, that's more so what it's about. I just want to know that this storyteller I'm entrusting my imagination to has considered some of these things. And that was a positive for me in this because throughout this movie, Snyder showed a great deal of care went into all of these decisions. And it almost, it gave me like this theory. It gave me this theory. We're like, okay, we know this guy likes to shoot long movies, right? That's his thing. There's always director's cuts. He always has more ideas, right? And then he inevitably has to chop them down to get them shorter. Something makes me wonder if when Snyder is cutting his films down, The first thing he thinks need to go are explanations, you know, are things that sort of justify some of the decisions he's making. He'd rather just get to the decision and the audience can take it or leave it, you know, because in this movie, almost everything that as I'm watching it, I'm going, "Mm, that was a little weird. But then he would find a way to bring it up in the dialogue later and suddenly it fell. Oh, no. So that that thing that I was a little eh on has been justified. He did think about that, and he did consider how the audience might go, where did that come from? Like, Snyder showed several times that he was willing to like address or explain certain concerns. And that's something that he doesn't typically do. In BVS, there was very little of that. In Man of Steel, there was very little of that. And in this movie, it felt like he actually left in all those connective moments that allow you to fully understand a character's um, rationalization or reason for doing what they did. He left them in this time because... Again, this is the four-hour and two-minute cut. So he feels like I can actually include that, which is usually a luxury. I'm going to include it this time. And as he moves forward, if he does get a chance to do more of these movies or more, you know, DC superhero movies in general, I hope he, he realizes the importance of that. Okay, I I, I got to get into it now because there's one moment that I keep, like, when I when I think about the movie, um, it really gets to me. Because I've been talking about Ray Fisher and Cyborg on this show on and off for a few months because he's got the whole issue with Joss Whedon and, and, and uh, Jeff Johns and John Berg and all that. And I had heard rumors way back when that one of the things he was most upset about was that he had personally worked with Snyder and Chris Terrio about his arc. He'd worked on his arc and what Cyborg would be trying to do and what his reason for being is. And then all of that just got snipped out when Joss Whedon stepped in and totally not just snipped out, but just completely remade and changed. They took away all the heft of what they were going for there. And I bring this up because uh, Cyborg in this film does something that really speaks to me. And I know really speaks to Ray Fisher, because Fisher and I have similar political ideologies. We both wanted the same person uh, to eventually become the nominee last year and eventually become president. Uh, It it didn't happen. But it's a it's a candidate who understands the injustice of poverty and of people who work hard, still struggling to make ends meet. It was a politician whose ideology was much more about what can I do for others and how can I help even the playing field so that everyone has a chance to succeed, especially if they're doing the work. If they're being good people and working and trying their hardest, no one should be struggling or in misery in this great country of ours because, well, I'm not going to get into the politics right now, but I know that Fisher feels that way. And when I saw the cyborg backstory and how he singled in on that waitress who was struggling and had like hardly any money left in the bank. And he, you know, he he looked into her life story and did what he could to help her. And he gave her that extra like million dollars in her bank account. And the way she reacted to that, like that brought tears to my eyes. Because it also felt like a a really cool sort of comment on capitalism in general, how when he's in that alternate sort of cyborg, cyborg world that he enters, he sees that human beings have been distilled down to just floating social security numbers and bank accounts. It's just money and your social security, and that is your whole value, and that is what your whole life is about, just trying to add to your stack of money until you eventually die. And to me, like watching that sequence where everyone has been distilled down to little floating piles of money attached to account numbers, it felt like this is the type of stuff that Fisher was really hoping to get at. You know, since Fisher has my similar political leanings, you know, this is probably the stuff that hurt the most for him that got cut because he really wanted his cyborg to be a champion for the little guy and to use his abilities to help those in need. You know, I just, it, it, it gave me extra compassion for his heartbreak at how things went there with, with Cyborg's overall uh, representation. And we also got to talk about Wonder Woman, because you know, I referenced that earlier in the episode. There's this moment there. After the bank scene, which, by the way, I got to admit, all of my speculating was wrong about that. I don't know if anyone remembers, but I I even said it in the uh, commentary for the Theatrical Justice League. I said, I don't think Wonder Woman succeeds in the Snyder Cut because in the trailers we see all the windows on that same level where she is. Uh, We see all those windows explode out onto the street. So I was always of the mind that this must mean that Diana fails in this. And it's all part of the, 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 the grander story they're telling about how, you know, Diana and Bruce and everyone are all sort of overwhelmed ever since Superman died. And that's why they have to come together. And that's why they have to get him back from the dead, because they're, they're struggling without him. That was always kind of my theory. It was nice to be proved wrong. You know, it, the explosion still happens up in the sky. And then the explosion out onto the street is Wonder Woman killing the terrorist. So it's like, okay, yeah, I was wrong. I'll take it. Uh, Something else I'll take, though, is afterward, this little girl is just staring at her enamored. And Diana gets down on one knee and talks to her and says, you know, is there can I help you or whatever? And she says, can I be like you one day? And she says, you could be whatever you want. And it's like those little moments didn't really exist in Man of Steel or in Batman v. Superman, even in the ultimate edition of Batman v. Superman. And yet in this movie, there's lots of moments like that. There's lots of moments where Snyder shows us how the world reacts to these heroes, which is such an important part of this kind of story. You have to show the audience how the world Feels about these heroes and how these heroes impact the world around them. And in this film, there's lots of little moments like that that show you exactly what these heroes mean to the world that they're in. And I love that. Even like the silly thing, you know, some people want to make fun of it, but. In that fishing village, when the girl comes and takes his uh, Aquaman sweater and smells it and starts to sing a song towards the ocean, like honestly, I didn't find that silly at all. I found it like to me, it felt like the old world. It felt like in small villages where the technology is primitive, where things are, you know, the, the, the conditions to live and survive are much harsher, like where that scene takes place. You know, they believed in gods and they believed in saviors back in the day, right? And nowadays, you'd have to imagine that if there was this small little fishing community on the other end of the world that feels forgotten and is always dealing with, you know, the harsh weather and, you know, frozen seas so they can't get food and all this other stuff. And then this mythical man arrives on the king tide. And every time he comes, he brings with him prosperity and helps them. It's like, he's godlike, and it's like, you know, he would be worshiped. There would be statues and paintings to him. There would be, you know, they would, they would treat him in a very special sort of way. So when she was singing to him, it, to me, it felt like something that would have happened in ancient times, you know, when we, when people still believed in gods and all that kind of stuff. And since I'm bringing this up, by the way, I just remembered a a good clear example of like Snyder addressing something that in the past he might not have, okay? So when 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 we're watching Bruce on the horse riding through this really rugged terrain and it's all snowy and rocky and desolate. And then ultimately he's perched on these rocks that are like on a cliff way over the town. And the town is right on the water. Honestly, for me, it felt like, here we go again with Snyder choosing style over substance. Why would Bruce Wayne show up on a horse To get to this village and have to go through all that. When he's Bruce freaking Wayne. He can get a boat. He can get a helicopter. He can do whatever he wants to get down there. It's totally impractical for him to be riding a horse. And here we go once again. Zack Snyder just wants to show something cool. So he probably thought, oh man, it would be badass. You have Bruce on a horse riding on the mountains. Oh, it's going to look so cool when he looks down at the village. You know, so I kind of started feeling that sense of, ah, oh, here we go with the style over substance where he just thinks it looks cool, even though it doesn't make any sense. And yet he shut me up because as soon as he gets into that restaurant, whatever he gets into the village, it comes up that because of the storm conditions, he couldn't take a helicopter. And that whole line, that this is where the line comes up. Where the uh, are, where they say that he climbed a mountain to get there. And the guy from the village says, that's impossible. It's awesome because it makes Bruce Wayne sound like a badass. But it also explains, also, he couldn't have gotten there any other way. He had to climb a mountain and get a horse and get there this asinine way. You know, and to me, that was just a very early example of something that happened a lot throughout Zack Snyder's Justice League. Where... Anytime it could have seemed like he was choosing style over substance, he found a way to let you know, actually, there was a reason that this happened. It wasn't just because I thought it looked cool. And I love that. I love that. And once again, if he can keep those two elements in his future films, I think he's going to have a lot more success. The two elements of showing us how the world around these heroes reacts to them and how they inspire the world around them, and actually giving the audience, throwing the audience a bone once in a while to kind of let them know that like things are happening a certain way for a certain reason. Uh, I think, honestly, his films would be far less divisive. Because this movie, if this is what he's capable of, I gotta tell you right now, I'm ready to restore the Snyderverse. I'm ready to see more of what these characters were were intended to do. Even if it means going in new directions, but using the, the Zack Snyder's Justice League as canon, as the jumping off point. So that is ultimately what I've got to say about Zack Snyder's Justice League. It's been an insane ride these last four or five years trying to track down how Justice League was going to turn out and now we've finally seen what the original filmmaker had in mind and man oh man Warner Brothers looks ridiculous I want to see more Snyderverse projects take place over in HBO Max or I want to see new filmmakers continue to expand on that in on the big screen Either way, I am so grateful that Zack Snyder's Justice League came back because it gave me a chance to hear that Man of Steel theme one last time, too. I got to mention that before I wrap up. Junkie XL, Tom Hokenberg, go to Spotify and listen to Superman Rising Part 2 slash Immovable. That is the most amazing version of Hans Zimmer's Man of Steel theme that I'd ever heard. It was finally the Superman theme itself done up in big, grandiose form. I got so, I mean, I cried. I cried. When, it, even when they first showed the hologram of Superman, when Cyborg makes the hologram of Superman that shoot that, 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 that's on top of the mother box, I just started, <laughs> I couldn't deal. I couldn't deal with that. And then when he finally shows up and you hear the music and he's beating the hell out of Steppenwolf and it's finally like the fanfare version of Hans Zimmer's theme, I was just, I couldn't, I could not have been happier. I was, uh, listen, Henry, I knew you had it in you. You showed it to me in Zack Snyder's Justice League. I hope you get a chance to show it to me again. And I hope beyond all hope, that if you get a solo movie, we get a movie that opens with that Junkie XL version of the theme as the opening fanfare, because that deserves to be the new gold standard Superman theme moving forward. That's how I feel. So everyone, I hope you enjoyed this long form look at Zack Snyder's Justice League I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Seth Travis as well as the non-spoiler and spoiler portions of the uh, of my review on the film as well as the way I addressed the way this overhaul really did not need to happen at all plus the only way I think they could have been justified so hopefully you enjoyed all that and uh, until next week life is chaos be kind Adiós.